Hello, and welcome back to Can We Talk? This series will be on trusts and estate planning. Joining us today are our host, Carol Felsing, and our guest, Anita Barber. Anita is president and managing partner of the law office of Anita L. Barber, PA. She has over 30 years of experience in the areas of estate and wealth preservation planning, trust administration, and wealth management. Anita holds an LLM in taxation from New York University School of Law, a JD from the University of Georgia, and a BS in accounting from Florida State University. She's an active member of the Florida Bar, Georgia Bar, Central Florida State Planning Council, and is a certified public accountant in the state of Florida. Now here is Carol Felsing. Thank you, Anita, for joining us. In the first podcast of this series, we talked about some essential, some essential documents that should be included in a state plan. A will, a durable power of attorney, health care surrogate, living will, trust, and LLCs. Can you talk about each of those documents and how we would use them and why we would use them? Sure, thank you. A will is a document that becomes effective upon your passing. Of course, you create it during your lifetime, but upon your passing, it is the document that says and directs the personal representative of their actions. So under the will, the personal representative is to collect assets, pay creditors, and then distribute anything remaining to the beneficiaries. And that process is over, uh, that process is organized through the probate court. So there are filings to the court that keep that process moving along and making sure that everything is being done correctly. A durable power of attorney is a document during your lifetime in that the principal can appoint who that person wants to make financial decisions on their behalf. And the durable power of attorney is a is a document that is still effective even though the durable power of attorney becomes incapacitated. And one of the largest reasons, strongest reasons for having a durable power of attorney is so that you don't have to have a guardianship through the court system over that person. The healthcare, the healthcare documents are really for. Healthcare surrogate is where I am going to recover, but currently I cannot make decisions with my doctor, so I need someone to speak with the doctor on my behalf. The next is the HIPAA, release of protected medical information. And with that is releasing the information so that the healthcare surrogate can actually have the correct information to make the medical decision. The living will is the document that you are able to say that I do not wish to be maintained on life support in certain circumstances. And then the last is the pre-need guardian, that if I do need a guardian, this is who I want to act on my behalf for making healthcare decisions. Mm -hmm. Going back to that durable power of attorney, some of the misconceptions with a durable power of attorney is that it continues after the death of the grantor, or you can use it to replace a trustee with that durable power of attorney. Tell us about those yes. two items. So you are correct, it's a misconception. Um, when a person passes, the durable power of attorney also stops. So it is not a document that is effective after the date of death. At that point, when a person has passed, the documents would either be the trust or the will, and that would be the documents that would pick up then. A durable power of attorney is when you are acting on behalf of someone else. It cannot be where then that durable power of attorney can then go and replace a trustee or appoint a trustee. Those are powers that are outside of the durable power of attorney. That's right. Trust. There are all kinds of trusts that we could use Then someone's estate plan, and we could spend all day talking about the different types of trusts. But right. for today, let's focus just on revocable and irrevocable trusts. Can you first tell us what the difference between the two is? A revocable trust is a trust that at any time in the future, as long as the person has capacity, that trust can be changed. It, 
completely or in sections. So it can be revoked at any time and changed during the lifetime. The irrevocable trust is a document, a trust that cannot be changed by the person who created it, by the grantor. And it is where it is used more by looking at gifting, doing some tax planning. If that irrevocable trust needs to be changed, you do have to do that through a court system or through certain type of agreements. What are some key elements that should be in a revocable trust? You always want to make sure, you know, of course, first that the grantor's wishes are included. Mm -hmm. So you always discuss what the grantor wants as far as during their own lifetime for their spouse, for their family, for their kids, if we're all here together, if one of us has passed and, and looking at surviving spouse with children, then going down to children. So you always want to look at it at the multiple phases of their life and, and thereafter. You also want to make sure that the trustees are included there. The trustee is who has the authority to act and, and carry out the terms of the trust. And then another important aspect is having the assets titled to the trust, because if an asset's not titled into the trust, the trustee has no authority over that. So you wanna coordinate and make sure that the document is complete, but you also wanna make sure that the assets are, are funded, titled into the trust. And I can't tell you how many times I've had clients come in and say, yes, I had this wonderful revocable trust and I read through the trust, but then when I get the 1099s for the bank accounts or the investment accounts, they're all titled in their individual names and not in trust. So that piece of paper is worth nothing. It is. So it's as we say, you know, you have to go all the way across the stream. The trust document gets you three fourths. The titling's got to finish it to get you over to the other shore. And talking about revocable trust, there's actually a couple of different types of revocable trust. You could have revocable trust, a separate one for the husband and a separate one for the wife, or you could have a joint family trust. When do you think the joint trust is good to use? The joint trust is a, a trust that really came to us from community property states. So came to us from California. Florida is a separate property state. And even though the joint, meaning that the husband has his own, his own assets and the trust covers those assets, the wife has her own assets and the trust covers those assets. We like to use the joint trust for if it is where assets have been totally titled with husband and wife, mm -hmm. it is the desire that it stays there. They're usually um, smaller in funds so that it's not gonna be un unduly burdensome to have it in the joint trust. Then when you start having larger accounts, we usually look at the separate trust because it does allow other type of planning that we can do. And we really consider those revocable trusts to be our foundation to start planning of other potential gifting, different things to make sure that we have that as the foundation to grow upon that. We also have a brand new law in Florida that is a community trust that does allow the residents of Florida to say that they want to go into a joint community trust. And the purpose, the benefit of that is that the assets that are held and titled in the name of the trust would get a step up, meaning capital gain would go away on all assets at date of death of the first, and then again at the second. So we call that double step up. The um, negative of that though, is that those trusts do not have any asset protection, mm -hmm. meaning that a creditor of one of those um, husband or wife would be able to access the funds if there's a judgment creditor. 
And I know, Anita, you draft some wonderful documents. I've, I've used them several times with clients. What are some things that a client of yours should communicate to you? Not only their wishes on assets, but some things that they should probably communicate to you about their family so you can draft a document that fits them well. We, we always like, we, we, as I said, I, have, I become your family when you start doing planning with me because we do ask some very pointed questions. And that is important that the wishes of the grantor are what are reflected in the document. Mm-hmm. So you do ask how, um, you know, are there any special needs? You know, does anyone have uh, a disability? Does anyone, how are they with spending money? And can they spend money, you know, appropriately? Do you have family members who don't get along? And mm-hmm. is, you know, what's the per, you know, what, what mm-hmm. caused that? And, and how can that maybe be eliminated? Most of the times when it comes that, 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 if there's someone that's already not getting along within the family, it's not going to be something that's going to get solved. So we don't want, when we're looking at that, we don't want to have, if mom and dad should pass, we wouldn't want to have one trustee as a sibling who is in charge of other siblings just because it only would fuel a bad situation. And so we always want plans to be drafted and for them to be administered in a way that improves and helps the family instead of having potential mm-hmm. conflict. And I know one area that you cover in your trust I don't always see is um, in the happenstance that one of your beneficiaries has an addiction drug or alcohol, you cover that in your trust documents, which I think um, a lot of parents don't want to discuss. Yeah, thank with someone. you. Thank you. And and that's, again, just asking, you know, history and, and different. But what we are aiming at with those documents there is just to make sure that we're not going to be contributing money to an unhealthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. that if we know about it, then we can draft in to get treatment, to get support. And I actually got this from a client that um, has said, don't cut off all the money that if, you know, if my family member is having a drug issue, you don't want them living on the street. So Mm -hmm. you want them living somewhere and the trust can provide for that. But you also don't want to give them money so that instead of, oh, you're supposed to pay your rent with this money, you know, they divert it over to the drugs. Mm -hmm. So there's really nice things that we can do to help so that we're not contributing to an unhealthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about estate planning, we typically think about either an older generation or a generation with kids that they want to plan for who's going to be their guardian if something happens. But there's also another group of kids that you do some estate planning or trust documents of that. Tell us about that one. Um, This is a fun one. We always enjoy this. Uh, As you know, when a person turns 18, they are a legal adult in the state of Florida. So with our clients, the kids that are then moving to go to school and that type of thing, we want to prepare for them what we call the ancillary documents, which is the power of attorney and the four healthcare documents that we said uh, above. And the purpose of this is that the child is now a legal adult, so the parents do not have access to any of their information unless the child authorizes it. And so the power of attorney is where the child is authorizing the parent to help them financially. The healthcare documents is where the child is authorizing the parent to receive that information and then also to be able to make decisions upon it. So we really enjoy it in you know late July, beginning of August, when the kids that we've known for you know since they were young uh, come in and, and they are um, adult as they like to say. In the trust documents that's written, another key component that you talked about was this trustee position. When you're looking at the trustee, uh, the document should typically contain who the current trustee is and how the next successor trustee is chosen or who it's going to be. Can you give us some guidance on who the grantor should pick as a trustee? There's, um, as we've discussed many times, there's actually three 
kind of categories for that. You usually think family and friends as the first one. The grantor usually thinks family and friends as the first one. And going through that, is there somebody in my family that I think could do this? Mm. Well, there might be someone that I think might could do it, but have you asked that brother or sister, you know, do you want to do this? Mm. The items that happen with the family is that certainly a family would understand your desires. However, the family member usually doesn't have the experience. The family member might not have the time and just may not want to be in that position. So you do want to make sure that if you're looking at family, do they, do they make decisions in the same way do you? Do they look at life like you do? Are they going to be able to be tough and tell your child, no, you don't get that Maserati car? Are they going to be able to do things like that? Or would it be better that you have a little support for them. And so if we're talking support, then you're looking at the professional, which can be a CPA, an attorney, or then you can look at other individuals, or you can then look at corporate. And I know that you do trustees. And what is great there is being able to pull in someone who has the knowledge and the experience of what a trustee needs to do, do that, what we call heavy lifting, you know, determine the investments, determine the distributions, make sure the tax returns, you know, filed, all of that, but also have input on the personal side from the family. So those always work really well. And then if you want to go one step further, it could be a corporate. Most banks have their corporate trustee. And at the bank um, level, what works well there is just the amount of oversight because you do have trust committees that review, you have uh, a lot of input, and, um, and then you have you know, your, your points of contacts with them. Right, and I know a big misconception on the friends and children. So often one of our clients comes in and they have ch- children that they want to serve jointly as trustees or have one be the trustee of the other children and they don't get along. They didn't get along when they were growing up and you're going to expect them to go through this and still get along. And I think that's a big misconception. It is. is. um, And when we talk about corporate trustees, we typically see those with the much larger estates because of the oversight needed on those. Um, But there is some limiting factors because they're not going to be quite as flexible because they have their guidelines that they have to go through to get that. So, I mean, there's benefits to each one of them that can serve. There is. That. Um, And then the last thing is, what's some attributes of a good trustee? Honesty. (laughs) So you always want a trustee to, you know, just be a very honest person. You want a trustee to be caring. So, and to be someone who has compassion so that when when someone is having a tough time, they know that they can get support. You also want someone who has that knowledge that we've been talking about, the knowledge of what it is to be trustee and the experience of that. I think that you always learn on every every trust that you work, you learn something new. It's the fun part of our positions is Absolutely. that there's always something a little different. But then as you keep on gathering those experiences, that just makes that person so much more experienced and knowledgeable to be an even better trustee when they were really great before. So it's, it's definitely one that you want to think about who, who will give the attention that is needed and be able to communicate whatever the decision is or whatever the need is very clearly. Well, Anita, thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge with our clients. And um, we'll see you the next time when we record the next podcast going into a little bit more detail and we'll Thanks. see you the ne- we'll see the and we'll see you the next time when we record the next version of this when we go into a little bit more detail on estate planning well thank you i look forward to that
Thanks for listening to Can We Talk? Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Anita Barber on the topic of other considerations with estate planning. Thanks for listening to Can We Talk? Trust and Estate Planning.